The following show is being broadcasted from an undisclosed location. Two former special operators have combined their badassery and now sharing it with the world. They ain't alive no more. All with a beer and a smile. This is the Savage Actual Podcast. And now your hosts, combat vets with 20 plus deployments between the two of them and enough testosterone to operate the power grid of Los Angeles. Savage Actual. Now your hosts, Jason and Patrick. This is uh, Jason Lilly with Savage Actual. I'm sitting here with two amazing human beings, one of which is my co-host, Mr. Patrick Moultrip, and our special hello, hello. guest, Mr. Peter Tamty, I'm saying this correct, uh, who is the main man behind the new and amazing video game that I actually got to play called Six Days in Fallujah. Uh, welcome to the channel. It's awesome to have you here, Peter. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. So we've, we've uh, been in talks with Peter and his team for a bit about this podcast, and it's finally actually happening. And uh, we've got a million questions to ask. And, uh, you know, first of all, congratulations on uh, a really amazing game. Uh, I've read a lot of the comments, and it seems like you guys are full steam ahead. So uh, awesome to you and your team, man. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Congrats on it, on it finally coming out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, going into early access now has been it's it's been rewarding for us to see the reaction that we're getting from players to what we've been keeping under wraps for so long. So excited now is we're, we're gonna we're just gonna have a lot more content coming out as we go through early access until we get to the point where we can bring the full release of the game out with all the missions and all the the campaign, the stories and the operator missions and all the rest. But seeing that reaction initially to that core bit is has been very rewarding for our team across the board yeah i bet i bet how, how big that's, is your team so we got about 55 people who have been working on it um and that's going to grow uh significantly uh and because uh, it has to um in games actually um well i'll tell you back when i got in the industry one or two people could make a video game and now you know i think that uh, I just saw a, a post, uh, boy, what game was it, that broke a record for the most people in, in credits in a game. Uh, oh, it was Diablo 4. 9,664 people in the credits. Wow. Holy, <laughs> I have not heard that. that oh, my God. Call of Duty's got like, you know, 800 to 1,000 or so people who work on it. And so when we're sitting at 55, it's like, oh, my goodness, it's really daunting the, the level of uh, expectations that those other guys set for us to try to do with 55 people. Yeah. Holy That's cow. Right. I mean, to me, as an outsider, 55 seems like a lot, but 9,000? I had read that you guys had, from what you had developed before, what had been built was completely done away with, right? You guys, Did you guys basically start from scratch so everybody had to restart everything on the yeah. game? Yeah, yeah, right. No, we, we, just too much time had passed. For those who don't know, the, the project began actually in late 2005. So like, you know, less than a year after the battle. Uh, and actually just three, two or three months after the battle, I was at Camp Pendleton interviewing Marines. Um, and recording the, but the game development started about, um, you know, la later in 2005. And, we, you know, we developed that up until about 2007 internally through our own internal studios. And um, 
and uh, then Acti or, yeah, Activision released Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the first one, and it sells like a billion dollars. And because of that, all the developments in the mil for military shooters just went through the roof. And so we partnered with Konami to fund the, basically the back half of the game. And uh, they announced it in 2009, and uh, the internet exploded. They got um, lots of attention for that, uh, including articles in the Tokyo newspapers asking why Konami is getting involved in the American war in Iraq. And they were getting hammered and hammered. And so Konami pulls out, and then, uh, and then I did put everything on a hard drive at that point. But I had to wind down the team because we needed millions and millions of dollars to keep going. And uh, so, anyways, uh, then we I picked it back up. I did take the hard drives back out of the out of the safe deposit box when we picked it back up. But it became clear pretty, pretty quickly that just pretty much everything would have to be replaced. Yeah, we had built our own game engine originally in oh, the, wow. uh, original development. Yep, and um, when we restart development, we knew that we couldn't just build an, an engine again from scratch, or even take the old engine and modify it. There's just so much advances. So we, we uh, licensed the Unreal Engine and then really heavily, heavily modified the Unreal Engine. That started in very late 2017. So we, we, we were working on this version of it for a little more than five years. So you got the game engine, that's all new. You have to recapture all the animations because we can capture it at a much higher fidelity now. Uh, there's technology allows us to have a lot more data there to make that animation a lot smoother. The artwork, it was all made for res smaller resolutions. And now that we've got these, you, know, you get 4K expectations from a lot of players. So you got to redo all that. So pretty much everything top to bottom had to be had to be rebuilt. Wow. Yeah. And a different <laughs> vision for the game, you know, in, in many ways. So um, the, the, there's when we were originally building it, um, we, we definitely understood that we wanted to create a, a documentary video game, this idea of a documentary video game. So this mixes documentary segments with uh, gameplay. So you see interviews of people who are in the scenario that you're about to encounter, and then, you, and then you're in that scenario. So that, was, that definitely is the same from the original to the one that we built now. But a lot of the, our technology that we had built in the original was uh, around uh, environmental destruction, blowing holes in walls, uh, being able to, yep, um, putting putting a D nine through 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 a wall of a building to take it down, things like that. And when we uh, restarted development with uh, Unreal Engine, um, we partly because of the learnings from building a really massively destructible environment in round one um, knew that the co the complications of that. But we also had heard stories. From um, from guys that said, you know, the the essence of their experience was an uncertainty about the unknown, and so we knew at that point that we the only way that we could recreate that would be to that, to recreate that feeling of, of of being afraid of the unknown is to change the environment every time, so players don't know what's going to happen. That's the opposite of video games, right? Because we play the same maps over and over again. So we invested all our technology into that concept of changing the architecture of the buildings each time so you don't really know whether the door's on the right or door's on the left or whether it's got a staircase plus where all the enemies might be located inside of that environment. So that's another big thing that changed between the old one and the new one. And what, what's the term that you guys use for that again? Procedural architecture.
procedural architecture and, and you guys developed the, the, the software and everything for that? Absolutely. From scratch. Oh, it's super interesting. <laughs> Because you brought that up about the destructive environment, that's something that Jason and I have talked about, that he's a huge fan of that sort of fully destructive environment. How difficult was that when you guys started working on that? How difficult it is, is it to create something like that to be used in a video game? Crazy hard. Uh, really? Yeah. And so, you know, and in fairness, we probably had more of it than we needed. So, <laughs> yeah. So... You, you, Rainbow Six Siege, for example, I've, and, and a bunch of the guys that worked on our original game ended up at Ubisoft and uh, working on Rainbow Six. And so uh, I, 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 they, they did something smarter with that than, than we had done, which was they localized that destruction. So in our original game, if you took a pillar out of a building, the, the building would collapse. And now that is that that creates a whole lot of technical issues and performance issues because when you destroy something, actually, you know, so getting technical with people for a second here. But if you look at a, a rectangular wall that in, in video game terms, that rectangular wall is actually going to be divided into two triangles. Yeah, uh, it's because we render everything as triangles. So it's you just right through the middle. You got triangle, you got triangle. Well, if you destroy part of it now, instead of having two triangles, you probably have a thousand triangles. Because unless you, unless you, unless you just want to take a, a square out, in which case you're gonna, but wouldn't look realistic, right? So you got thousands of triangles. So now instead of rendering two triangles, you're rendering thousands of triangles. Now imagine players are doing that over and over and over again on buildings, and you can see how very quickly. You're going to need a supercomputer to be able to render that level of destruction. Wow. So, but then the other problem you got is is now you got a a, a game world where people can go and go somewhere where it wasn't intended for them to go, and so you've got a design challenge. So there's all these complications kind of fall out of that one decision. So what Ubisoft did that I think was really smart was um, they localized that destruction. They said you can only be able to put a hole in this wall here and they give you a visual clue where you can do it where you can't do it and you can and, and the holes are going to be similar etc they're going to be a little chunky etc so the performance works but they don't you don't have to redesign the level every time the game everybody some every time somebody blows a hole in the wall right so anyway so the, the answer is yeah you can do it but you got to do it in a really smart way hmm yeah that's a really that's good question really good answer that's that's because I, you know, as Patrick defended me earlier, I came from the uh, battlefield. You know, I've played every battlefield there was, and from twenty one forty two to battlefield two, special forces with grappling hooks, leveling buildings, and I love that aspect. Yeah. To me, from what you're saying uh, on the back end graphically, you know, it wasn't as in depth. It is. It wasn't as capable as it is now. So that makes really big sense to me. Whether they will kind of pull that off then. Yeah, yeah, and they did some smart things with the with the um, Frostbite engine, but powered Battlefield, where they would um, they'd eliminate a lot of that geometry, right? So instead of have, and prefabricate a few things and do a bunch of other tricks, that was a really really uh, smart way to do it, and that works better in a multiplayer environment than in a single player environment as well, because the uh, AI. We had one of the things that took us a long time to build was AI that understood when geometry had a hole in it or geometry was missing. So there's a lot of just traditional approaches to 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 that um, don't apply. But some of those ideas do apply to this concept of procedural architecture we're using right now, right? Because we also cannot use 
the same techniques to uh, display uh, to, for the AI to be intelligent, and move through an environment because uh, it's all about making shortcuts. And so the most game AI assumes a static game world so they can pre-calculate what the AI needs to do. But in a procedural architecture game or a destructible game, you can't pre-calculate anything because it's going to change every time. So you got to have a completely different approach to the way the AI are built as well. Wow, that's crazy. This could turn into a five-hour conversation. All my, tech, all my tech talk here. <laughs> no, no, we love it. And it's you're conveying it in a way which most of us, Patrick and I included, you know, are listening are, are not well-versed in this 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 environment. So that's why proof proof in the pudding here is why we wanted to have you on is to really bridge that gap. It to really focus on the hard work it takes to pull this off. You know, it's so quick to myself as a gamer and Patrick too, it's real quick to throw in some negative comments like this, that and the other, you know, but it's it's I mean you guys are slaving away at this to pull this off. Wow. Well, Before you. we go yeah any further in, in the game Let's let's back it up a few years. You know, Patrick, I've been reading a lot about you as an individual, about Highwire, about Victoria. How and where in your realm of life did you get into games? Very, very early. Yeah, I mean, it actually happened. A, a, a friend of mine when I was growing up had uh, got an Apple II Plus computer. <laughs> yeah, Apple II Plus. So this would be the 1970s, uh, okay. maybe 1980. Yeah, no, late 1970s, early 80s. And I was fascinated with the game he could play. It was just, that was just amazing. And around the same time, um, schools at that time had these teletype computers that you would dial up with the modem, take the telephone, physical telephone set, and set it on a, a coupler so that the yep. coupler would listen to the tones and transmit that into the teletype computer. Well, a, a friend of mine said, well, hey, you know what? You can learn how the game is programmed if you just type in list. And so I typed in list once and I get all those instructions. And then I'm like looking at it going, oh, so that's how you program a video game. And you know, the very, very, very simplistic video game. But that's, how, that's what got me involved. So that was, um, you know, that was junior high, you know, like middle school, early high schools when I started doing that and getting the computer clubs, program on Apple IIs. That was the first thing that I programmed on for a while. Um, and then I went to college. And during college, I actually didn't play video games at all because I was just worried about the time that it would suck me into. Um, and so I kind of, I was out of that for a while. But before that, I, got, I had a bunch of jobs in high school, actually, program people hire me to program program video games. <laughs> That's, That's so awesome. cool, man. That's so yeah. cool. Educational video games at that point, which it was which was which was which was a great part-time job. The um and then uh and then after after college um I um yeah I was actually I was I was uh managing some retail stores, computer stores and uh, a guy came in uh he was the president of a software company, a video game company, came in and was not happy because he had paid for an end cap display in and our <laughs> chain had forgotten to tell me about that. And so he's like, where is my end cap that I'm paying all this money for? And I got to know the guy and he, he said, Hey, you want a job? <laughs> and so, wow. I, so I got back into the video game industry and then, so that anyways, so that's their very earlier days. And then I, I eventually ended up starting a business called Maxsoft, 
um, and um, uh, we ended up growing Macsoft into the largest publisher of Macintosh consumer software in the world. About two-thirds of our revenue came from video games. A third came from productivity software for the Macintosh. I got wow. Steve Jobs' attention because and, and, um, we, were, we were very significant player in the Macintosh market when he returned to Apple. He then asked me to, to join Apple to work for him as uh, Senior Director of Consumer Marketing. I did that through Apple's uh, turnaround. And uh, uh, some, um, I knew the guys that ran Bungie, uh, 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 CEO and founder of Bungie, Alex Seropian is a good friend of mine. And uh, uh, he and I had always talked about me doing something with them. And so I, I, I ended up uh, joining Bungie. You know, uh, he showed, showed me Halo <laughs> as when it was in development. And I got real excited. <laughs> and I was also very anxious to get back into business building after being at Apple, a very large co co company. So did that. Uh, uh, Partway through that, uh, Microsoft showed us a, a this new console they're working on um, called the uh, called the Xbox, and so we, part of uh, uh, so Bungie. This is and I guess this is something that you know we look at history of, of, of the industry and really meaningful moments in time. So and how one thing leads to another. Uh, it, it, so when I had gotten to Bungie, Bungie was in a in a in a world of hurt because they're biggest distributor had gone bankrupt. I mean, this is the company that owed them probably 60% of the money that Bungie had earned in the previous year. They had not been paid because the distributor was bankrupt. And then on top of that, there was a last minute bug that slipped through uh, and Bungie had to recall their previous game, Myth 2. Uh, so in addition to having to pay to recall that their only product for the previous two years, they then had the distributor that had done 60% of their sales volume go bankrupt. So these are the kinds of things people don't really see that happens in the background. So one of the things that we did right away, um, uh, Alex was like, I mean, he was full disclosure with me, you know, we got to do something about it. <laughs> he said, we're in trouble. <laughs> so we sold 19.9% of the company to take two. And, um, and interactive, uh, yeah. they're, they're very excited about Halo. And um, after I'd gotten to Bungie, I had I'd asked Steve whether he'd be willing to announce the game. He, and Steve, Steve Jobs is actually the one who announced Halo publicly. A lot of people don't know that, but um, he was the one who unveiled Halo. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, but anyway, so we're, so we're take two calls one day and they, they're like, hey, we got Microsoft, they're in town. And uh, they're going to show us this new console they're working on. And we just thought you might be interested in taking a look. And so um, the, um, there were like um, four people there, two of whom uh, in the, uh, were um, um, the, the leaders of Rockstar, who nice. were definitely working on this game that nobody had seen called Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, big fan. <laughs> yeah. And then it was Alex Seropian from Bungie and me. So, wow. uh, and, uh, so out of that meeting, of course, you know, the game that defines the PlayStation in that era, especially was Grand Theft Auto and the game that defined Xbox was Halo all together in that one meeting. But that night I had dinner with a bunch of the Microsoft guys. And so what are your plans? What kind of, what are your plans for launching this Xbox that you got coming up? What kind of games are you going to have to support it? And they're like, well, we're working on that. I knew the vice president of Microsoft's game division, so I called him the next morning. Uh, I said, hey, Alex, you want me to talk to him? Alex was like, yeah, give him a call. So I gave, gave him a call. Ed freezes his name and said, Ed, um, yeah, we, we think you should consider using Halo to launch the Xbox. And uh, Ed's like, 
that's a good idea. <laughs> and so six months later, they bought the company. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So then I started another. Uh, I, 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 at that point, I, I, I already had my experiences working for a large company. So I, at that point, I, I left and uh, started another business called Destineer. And then uh, one of uh, and Destineer, we grew that into uh, top twenty-five uh, publisher of packaged video games globally, and which of course now is a very, very small part of the of the video game industry. Uh, but one of the things we did along the lines is another friend of mine, uh, Keith Zabalali, ran a company called uh, uh, Atomic Games. And we started working with Atomic and ended up buying Atomic. Atomic had a, a contract to make uh, games uh, for the Marine Corps, uh, uh, specifically close combat Marine. And then they were looking to expand what they had done with that. And that work got me introduced to uh, Marines who were getting deployed back and forth between uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and they'd come into our office then when they get back to help us get the train systems right. Became friends, very close friends with a number of those guys, and one of whom was blown up by a mortar in Battle of Fallujah. And uh, within just minutes of losing his life, maybe a minute of losing his life, he's bleeding out when his, um, uh, one of his buddies stopped, buddy Abe first, right? Comes in, stops the bleeding. He gets medevaced out to the field hospital. Um, then he goes to the hospital in Baghdad, and he's sent to a hospital in Germany. Then he's spent, sent to a hospital in, in the United States. And then he, told, then he called me and he told me the stories of things that had happened during the battle. And I was really, really upset and embarrassed that I hadn't heard a single one of them. Here are things that he's telling me stories of things that are as remarkable as any in history, but nobody knew. And he was the one who suggested peter you know our generation plays video games would you be willing to tell this story through a video game and i pretty much right on the spot yeah. i absolutely love that concept man i mean how you describe it in those two words is a documentary video game is i mean it's smart it's kind of crazy it hasn't been done before thank you yeah it is although you know and of course when we announced the game it took people by surprise, I think, for two reasons. A lot of people view video games as toys, and they don't think we can actually do something as serious. And for those of us who've been in the industry for a while, I, 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 you know, we, we look at it way differently. It's that if, you know, um, it, it, if I, if, if, when you have to do something for yourself, you know, you, you learn it. Like, you don't learn how to ride a bike by watching somebody else ride a bike. You got to get on the bike. You got to ride the bike. And by in that process, you pick it up. You understand a little bit more about it. But the way we culturally, for thousands of years, have learned is by is through stories that people are telling us. Yep. Right? And then it goes to the screen, and you get a little bit more depth in, in their experience because now you can see it through somebody else's eyes. But it's still somebody else making all the decisions. When you have to make the choices for yourself, that's when you really begin to understand the complexity and the depth of the situation and why things really happen the way that they do. So that was that's the vision, and and the, the, you know to start the, the each of the game missions with interviews of people who are in that mission in real life, and then to say, okay, what would you do, and put you in that same mission with without the ability to proceed in the game until you solve that mission. Now, you can solve that mission differently, but you got to still solve the same objective that that Marine or that soldier had to solve in, in the game. 
I think what you're doing is it's almost like the movie Avatar in a sense. Like you're for, and obviously you're still not a Marine. You're not physically there. There is no actual threat to your life, but you're getting to, to, to what we've always done since childhood is, is try to be in this mind. I wonder how I, what I would do. How would I survive this boulder on my arm? Or would I cut my arm off in this Canyon? You know, like what would I do in this situation? So even if it's just a small percentage of that, right, but still a lot more than a wonder in your brain, you're, 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 you're still in this 3D environment to some degree. And technology has allowed us to, to allowed you to really encapsulate a percentage of that realism, which is, which is awesome. I think we're potentially on the brink of a new step in the evolution of video games. You know, maybe you I guys so. are the catalyst to, to that. I hope so. I hope so. I really do. I mean, I think there's, you know, first of all, there's a lot of people who got afraid because they saw, you know, the games media just launched on us. And it's because the, well, it, you know, it's, it, honestly, it's, it's, it's a few things, I think. Now, number one is because the Iraq war is controversial and it was controversial before it started. And then a lot of things happen. And one of the really important things I think that we're going to try to do is to help people understand the realities of war. Um, I don't want to take things away from other games because they're wonderful, wonderful experiences. But a lot of other games have really tried to glamorize war. A lot of film tries to glamorize war. And this, and I, again, I'm not that, that, that this. Please don't interpret this as a criticism of that, 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 that because I think there's incredible stories that people need to experience, and some of which are fictional but lifted from real life, right? And so there's things there that I think have real value, but they're still not the real thing. And and that's that's our promise to players is that we're trying to do this as as realistically as this as this machine will let us do it, and even if that means that's going to be less glamorous and it's going to be a lot more difficult and you can't get away with some of the things you can in other games, but the effect of that is I, I is getting I hope people to the point where they understand the complexities that are inevitable with war and and we already are seeing this happen where people who have played games for a long long time comment to us whether it's in user research that we do when we watch people play the game or it's online i watch videos a lot of people on videos have been talking about this or people just sending us emails and notes and stuff and over and over again we hear this that's way harder than i thought it was going to be <laughs> Not that the game is way harder, but it's like in that scenario now, I'm standing outside that door and I really don't know what's on the other side of that door. And I am feeling something that is terrifying to me. I don't know how people did this in real life. You know, it's yeah. Peter, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> like with Jason and I have very sort of different outlooks on the game side of things. Jason is very much a gamer and he's, <laughs> I probably spends all. I mean, Too I know much one of the games he's yeah thousands and thousands of hours playing some of these games, and I really enjoy video games. It, it's just something for a long time I never I never did because I was on active duty, and I just it wasn't something that was difficult for me to kind of do. And I've caught up to it a little bit more in the last few years. But something that struck me very much about the game that you guys have created is like you were saying with the interviews at the beginning, it almost strikes me as like 
Band of Brothers or yeah, very the much Pacific, where you have these conversations with the people that were there. It, it strikes me as being a lot bigger that like you're the game is a lot bigger than just Call of Duty. And again, like you said, I'm not putting down that game, and it's just a very different type of feeling. And when you get on to Six Days in Fallujah and you hear this stuff from the guys, and then it transfers into the game, it's it's to me, it's more like a bigger picture thing, a bigger historical piece of that pie or a historical game, sort of like when you watch Band of Brothers or you watch the Pacific and you get to see these men talk about their experiences and then you sort of zooms back in time and you get to sort of see it, you know, through that, through the, through the director's eyes. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And yeah, it's, it is such a different game and I can see why people would think it's way harder because it's, it's more reality. It's more reality. And we, we got, you know, a lot of, a lot of the feedback we got from people, besides the fact that, hey, I'm, I was really afraid of opening that door, <laughs> right? A lot of the feedback we got from, from Marines and soldiers was that if you can lone wolf it, you know it's fake, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and, 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 and so they said, you know, the, the essence of real combat is the unit, not the individual. Yep. One hundred percent talking to each other, and it's and it's 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 moving. So, you know, one of the things that has been really interesting to us. So again, I mentioned we do we do user research before we release the um, even into early access. We we run you know dozens and dozens of people through uh, just regular um, game players to watch them how they play and with it. So over and over again, we get you know four players to come into the game, and as you might expect, they all run in four different directions. Right, they all do because that's what you do in Call of Duty in Battlefield, right? You run in four different directions, and then you know, the next time, and then they last thirty seconds, right? And then they come back and they try again, and eventually they learn. Somebody inevitably, it'd be somebody on the team goes, "Hey, you know what? We got to talk to each other. We got to stick together. Don't don't <laughs> whatever, right?" And and they start developing this, and then they become more and more successful. So we took we took four veterans and had them play the game for the absolute first time, and. Um, uh, uh, the exact same build that these other people were using. And those four veterans, instead of lasting 30 seconds later, by the very first time they played, they went 20 minutes. They had never played the game before. <laughs> they went 20 minutes. And it, it immediately, we're scratching our heads. Jamie Griesemer, who is the, uh, the game director, uh, is, and, and, and is lead designer on Halo, and destiny right just a real visionary guy in the industry uh, he's our game director and jamie and i are looking at you we're like well that's a problem because you got this group of people who can complete it and you know you, take, you get killed in 30 seconds this group of people it takes 20 minutes that's a really really big delta to try to close but what we what we found is that those players that got killed in 30 seconds over and over again don't make the game easier don't make the game easier they kept coming don't water it down. I'm figuring out what to do, and it feels so much more real. It's hilarious that you said that because before you got on here, Jason and I were talking about DMZ not 30 minutes ago, and my complaint was as soon as we drop in, you know, it's the three-person thing. As soon as we drop in, I'm like, these two clowns just take off. And I'm standing there like, where are you going? And right. they get killed and I end up being on my own. And him and I were just talking about it. And it's like, you have to stay together. You have to work together as a team. And there's just so many people are so quick. The gamer 
attitude is to just to go off and run and gun yeah. and not work together, yeah. clear your corners, like fight together as a team. It makes yeah. an incredible dif- difference. And it's, that is, again, that's reality. Yes. That's absolutely- I, I think to segue <laughs> off of what Patrick said earlier about the realism uh, of the game is, you know, that one word, like what actually makes it real. Sure. There's the visual aspect. Absolutely. But it's, it's the human condition and it is the emotions attached to it Mm. and not to it, the emotions that get brought out of the individual actually playing the game Mm. is what separates this game, I think from other games. So it's, it's, you know, no knock or call of duty and battlefield and all the other shooters. It is, it's, it's kind of binary. You just go until you die and then you reset. Right. But with this game from what little I did play and I've seen is, it forces you to really slow down to think about your next move as in real life. Like I'm going to bound hopefully with someone covering me to this half wall. And then from there, I'm going to take a knee and we're, we're going to reevaluate once we get there. It really takes yes. step by step by step, corner by corner, much yes. like it was for me in Fallujah when I was there in 04. I mean, it, it's, yep. it's, it yes. really slows things down to where you're like, you want to make the screen bigger. It's like almost you want to go vol- yeah. virtual. You know, it's like I want to see yeah. head on a swivel, and, and you can't do that much like in real life. You know, <laughs> yeah. and it forces you have to be a wolf pack. You know, and yes. that's yeah. much like in real life. Like, in, and that's what makes that human experience. Is I get to know my buddy Jax, I get to know my buddy Stafford, and his pluses and minuses you know and much like real life in the video game you're gonna have strengths and weaknesses with each individual player some guys better at a sniper some guys better at a squad automatic weapon some guys better at being the leader that's right the whole thing you know so i think you've tapped into something that's hyper unique and it's about time thank well Well, something jason knows jason knows too and i'm sure you guys have seen it is that urban environment it's not a 2d sort of situation when you're in that urban environment and you're like Jason said, you're behind that wall. Well, I can peek up and I can see, you know, check and make sure there's nobody over that wall, but I'm also got a street behind me. I've got more buildings behind me. I have all this other environment behind me that potentially is not clear. It's fighting in that urban environment is in reality is such a difficult and stressful situation. Sort of what you guys have brought out, in that game it the the rubble on the ground everything around you you look it is it is very difficult like being in that actual environment what you guys have created it's just it's absolutely incredible and it is that's one of the things that creates that stress just because fighting in in an environment like that is incredibly stressful and you guys have brought that to the forefront of what six days in fallujah you know shows to these people that have never been there Thank you. Yeah, uh, wonderful to hear. I mean, it is for our team the greatest satisfaction comes, I think, from hearing people who are there say things like that because we've worked so hard to try to capture that experience and then for people who are there to say, yeah, you got it. That, that's, what, that's what it was. It's, and it's something I've not experienced in other video games yet. Yeah. Yeah. I- I think what you guys refrained from, if I'm putting this all together, is and much like I've read in some of the interviews you've done, I sent one article to Patrick that I found. It was really good. And already I got an idea of, of you as an individual 
for the most part, was you've refrained from the glamorous side of it, man. Yeah. You know, you nailed that earlier when you said that is, is now that I'm an older man and 20 years post Fallujah, but I went on fighting in Afghanistan and didn't leave Iraq until 2016, believe it or not, many years over there is there is truly no glamor in it. Right. And it's, right. it's, it's truly survival and it's truly, it doesn't even become about the king and the queen and the president, and the mission. It's about getting home. Yeah. Is there some fun aspects of it? Yeah. Is there some cool things about it? Yeah. Is there some dark things? Absolutely. Is it boring? Like most of the time with hyper moments of holy fuck, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> and then you don't, and then you come home. Yeah. But some don't come back, you know? So yeah. you've made it super realistic. The sounds, the, I mean, like you said it earlier, Patrick, you like mid conversation. I was actually thinking about the game when I was looking at rooftops and trying to see the V's of a silhouette of a human man, you know, like, Oh, there's a sniper. Be aware. We've got, you know, Intel, there's a sniper in your AO like Juba, the sniper was this famous yeah. Iraqi sniper mm. that was taking out people for you. So I was like looking for this guy. <laughs> I didn't see any sniper glint like on every other call of duty game. No offense, call of duty. I'm, do you love the game? But like, there's no glint from the the optic that this person was using. I'm like, where the f is this thing? At? Where is he at? And then, bam, I'm down. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like it, that challenge. You know, the carrot in front of the horse is, yeah, like this game behind me on the wall. My brother gave me this shadow box. It was Battle Toads. Mm. Um, it was on <laughs> Nintendo. Yeah. I still have never beat this game. <laughs> and I never beat my grandfather in chess the entirety of 15 years. I played chess with him before he died and he never let me beat him once. Yeah. There's something about that challenge because yeah. I've got 60, 70 games in my steam library, you know, plus yeah. 130 games actually. And I get bored <laughs> very quickly, you know, and plus the ADD realm of our generations and younger sure. generations, right? Like, so you have created a challenge in the game realm that is it, it's not easy it's fun as a gamer it's it's your immerse it sucks you in so Thank we're not closing this conversation now but like for the people that have not played this game please try this game especially if you're a shooter and you, you you're a part of history playing this game in a small 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 uh capacity for sure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and no. if people bitch to you guys about it's too hard don't don't make it less hard. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> when somebody returns the game on Steam, they, ha they have to say why. And um, and the too difficult is on the list. <laughs> I've I've seen a couple people make comments. We've I mean we have it's probably right now one of our most commented videos of the stuff of Jason playing. I mean, every day we have 10 to 15 people that I read through the comments on YouTube and most people it's nothing but absolute positive. People are just like freaked out at how intense it is. Uh, but we, I've seen a couple people and they haven't said why they're like, Oh, this is dumb. I returned it. Well, you probably got your tired of gotten your, getting your ass kicked that's and that's why you returned it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And, and so, and I, I, I gotta, I, I, so it's a risk, right? And I gotta give back to giving Jamie some credit. Um, in addition to, uh, visualizing this concept of procedural architecture, um, he he was the one who who 
early in the project came to me and said, Peter, I think we're going to have to make this a difficult game. And, um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big financial risk doing that, right? Cause that is definitely breaking with the tradition. And I, I went, you know, being in the industry for so long, but you know, games went through a cycle early where they were actually very hard. I mean, the original rainbow sixes, Rogue Spear and all those, that, that was a, those were actually very difficult games. And you had to do your planning right. And you had to execute with perfection or you were not going to make it through. And then we went through a phase which started with Call of Duty, um, which became much more forgiving. They let players make mistakes, respond, et cetera. They wouldn't make them restart. And, you know, they, or the restarts, the gap would be very minimal, et cetera. And this just got enormous economic success from that pattern. And, and that has been the pattern pretty much across the industry, especially military shooters. Um, and now, of course, we're, we're, we're saying something very different, which is fundamentally, the way, the, way we, the, way we, the way we try to frame it is if you're working together as a unit and you're deploying tactics effectively, you should be successful. It should yep. be very stressful, but it should end in success more often than not. But if you're playing as a lone wolf, or you got four people who are all being individuals instead of being a unit, then you should fail because that's the way reality is. And that's the bargain. That's the risk that we took at that point and that players want to know is it, it, what is it really like? People who haven't been there, what is it really like? And the back of our mind, all of us know that most of the games we played so far did not, are not answering that question. And so I, I just hope that they're seeing what we're doing and saying, yeah, you're, yeah, it's harder. Um, this is not a game that you're going to, we're going to put you in a grind for eight hours because you can't play it for eight hours mentally. You can't play it for eight hours. You got to take a break, <laughs> you know? So these different rules, we're breaking a bunch of those rules. And, and so far we're getting a good response. I mean, so when the game launched, uh, it was the number one best-selling PC game in the world. Uh, for the first weekend. And that's a really, really strong response uh, from players. They're interested in this for sure. Uh, you know, um, that's a good thing because we need a lot of money to finish the game. <laughs> it's a very, very, very expensive thing to do. And so it's a good thing that people are buying the game because every dollar that people spend on the game during early access is going right back into the into the development of the product to make it an even bigger uh, full release of the game and that's so that's a, that's the goal what's the uh if you don't mind me asking what's the what is something like this cost what do you think from beginning to end let's say hey final product and of course i would assume that there's going to be maybe tweaks and updates later on down the line but when you get to the point of we are now in full release what is something like that kind of cost from beginning to end to develop yes yeah development costs for that are in the tens of millions of dollars wow yeah, tens of tens of millions of dollars. So, you know, as part of the uh, Activision getting acquired by Microsoft, both Sony, well, Sony, Microsoft, and Activision have all had to release all these documents, and so people have been finding out what some of these things are costing to make. And uh, those those of us in the industry have had a pretty good feel for because you can you know how many people is it, how how long you can kind of do some estimates on it, but it. What, what, we've, what we're finding is that uh, Sony is investing at least $200 million in most of their major franchises. And wow. uh, Call of Duty is typically costing about $300 million to develop each time. Does not include- that's, I mean, that's, 
that's almost completely in line with what it's costing on, you know, the the, the largest movies that are being put Absolutely. out right now. I mean, that's what it is. For every I know for a long time, again outside of that community, just hearing, you know, the that the 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 gaming industry has become this multi billion dollar industry, and it's it's getting ready to close in on on the movie industry as far as like the entertainment value of it. I mean, you're, yeah. that's the same thing, you know, to whatever Top Gun was a $300 million movie, the newest one Maverick or whatever. So it's, I can completely see that being in the same range as far as, you know, something like that. It is, you know, yep, it is, it is. It, are, are these guys able to recoup those, that money as quickly? <laughs> I mean, is that, is that a, a normal thing? I would think for something like Call of Duty, yeah, potentially I've heard that they've done well over a billion, right? So oh, yeah, no, how long do you think it generally takes? Yeah. Yeah. Call of Duty recoups immediately. Uh, the Call of Duty wow. recoups on, on pre-orders, I think. They, but that's, a, that's, <laughs> a, that's an exception to the rule, though. Uh, right. I mean, Call of Duty is a cultural force, and I think right. it's, an, it's an exception to the rule. Yeah, you know, the answer to does it recoup is that's a really good one. And it there are definitely games that don't, um, for sure. Um, well, now, when you get into the really blockbuster AAA games that are costing $100, $200, $300 $300 million. So uh, those are so heavily researched and to some extent formulaic that the economics are... are not fully understood necessarily, but there's a, there's a good indicator. And so actually, the way those games fail is when they get canceled before they're released, typically. So oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of AAA games that are in development, and, and they will spend 20 30 $40 million and get to the point where they're just like, um, it's not working. It's not going wow. to be able to, right? I mean, if, if you get different stages in development, and if you're not achieving certain uh, measures of success in, in the way players are reacting to the experience, you, you got to go back and try and you tweak and you come back and you test again and you tweak. And you, but oftentimes you do get to the point where you're like, you know what, there's not enough meat here and we just got to kill it. And that has happened. That's happening a lot actually in the industry during the last year, a lot of games that had tens of millions of dollars investment into them have gotten canceled. Absolutely. Wow. Once you get past those hurdles and the user testing is, is coming in the way it, it, it needs to and you believe you've accomplished enough of the technical hurdles that you're not going to have a performance issue, which is the other problem that we've seen with a number of games this last year, that they did not overcome their technical issues. And so although creatively the games might have been interesting, they did not perform well enough, so you didn't get the frame rate players were expecting, and that then at that point creates another problem. Those games definitely... Are, those are those. Th that's one way to fail, but by and large, that's the exception. When you've got a game that's costing a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollars to make, you've gone you've gone through so many um, gates at that point that you're pretty confident in 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 the in the level of success you're going to get. That you're at least going to get your money back and hopefully get into that five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred million dollars of, of revenue. But only a few games can sustain that. Wow, that's just mind boggling, so man. I think that might be a good point to, can you talk a little bit about the sort of the drama that surrounded this game? Because obviously it, like you said, you sort of get to that point where you have to cancel it. You guys got 
to a certain point with six days in Fallujah and then all this craziness blew up. Can you kind of talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Sort of what spawned that? And I mean, you guys had to have a lot of uh, drive and motivation to make this happen, to, to, to continue to push through all that. So Yeah. Yeah. In round one, I mean, we, we, we had, a, we had invested more than $10 million of our money. This is, this is back when big games were costing 30 or $40 million to make. Okay. <laughs> um, and we had invested 10 million of our own, uh, before we had hooked up with Konami, who was then going to fund the rest of our development. Um, and so, right. When Konami pulled out there, uh, there were other there are other companies that that there, there's only a handful of companies that were spending that kind of money making video games and so there's really only five or six companies that could have funded the rest of the game and we didn't have the money because we'd already spent it so um i talked to a bunch of those and the problem is is that um about half of them had a problem with the subject matter and the other half flat out said we have no problem with subject matter or in fact you need to do this for the industry but we have wow other products that are too similar, military shooters, and we just can't put more of our resources in that bucket because we already have a lot of resources in that bucket. Um, they're, but they were very, very clear, very mature conversations where they're like, but we really are hoping you guys succeed with this thing. So, because uh, it opens up an opportunity for everybody if we're successful, right? It's a genre then at that point, and more games can come into the genre, whether it be true stories that are military or true stories that are not military shooters. So it's an opportunity. So what was the what was the initial what initially spawned that controversy? It's the Iraq War, collectively, and I I think it, uh, you, you know, and, and and you guys you guys have lived it. There's there's there are reasons for people to be apprehensive about what happened in Iraq. There are, and there are a lot of second guessing about whether we should have been there or shouldn't have been there. But that was happening even before the, the battle started. And right. at that time we were still there. And so the battle, that battle was still raging. What disappointed me though, is that was the problem in round one. There were, the problem in round one was number one, we took people, it was a shocking, this idea that, that somebody would try to make a video game about combat, real life war that was shocking to a lot of people and because people at that point especially were perceiving video games to be toys and a lot of people had a hard time picturing you know they see their kid for example playing call of duty laughing about no oh, i just got you know i just got a kill streak blah 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 right and then you're thinking to yourself how's somebody going to do that in a real world Right, not knowing one thing that we weren't planning to have in a competitive game at that point. <laughs> we're not going to do PvP yeah. at that point. It's going to be co-op, and we're not going to recreate that scenario with real life people getting killed. I mean, that's that that was not the way that we looked at the the the, the tone of the game that we're trying to make. Right, right. And that's 100%. one reason why the game is a single player solo campaign right now with co-op, because it's very intentional about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. So that's first thing. Um, but I, I, what disappointed me, brutal, brutal honesty, or what disappointed me when we reannounced the game in 2021 is that was not really the issue. The issue is that there is an element within parts of our media, not all of our media, but parts of our media, and especially within the games media, that um, uh, just look at service 
in a very different way than you and I do. And, you know, they hear stories. A lot of these people were very young when the Iraq war took place. So they're hearing this, these stories. And, and of course, they're hearing some of the bad stories, and there's bad stories. But, you know, I looked at it very, very differently. For, for me, I'll, you know, when after 9-11, uh, there was a group of people, not just in the United States, but around the world, who quit their jobs, quit their schooling, and volunteered their lives to defend against this new threat. Those are the people who end up in Fallujah in 2004, right? And now, you know, 20 years later, people who don't know anything about why that battle happened or what actually happened during that battle are calling them war criminals. And, and um, that, I'll be brutally honest, is the thing that, that makes me upset. I don't really, at the end of the day, care if those people criticize what we're doing with the video game. That's, I'm in the ring, I, I, we're, we're, we're doing it. But um, I, I really think it's, I, I think those people need to spend a lot more time learning about what actually happened understanding the character of somebody who quits his job to defend his country. And is that person really a war criminal? Well, think about that for a second, right? You quit your job to defend your country, and now you're in a really, really bad situation, but the character that caused you to serve in the first place is the character that is going to take you through that difficult situation. Not 100% of the time, right? You guys have served, you know. But 80% plus of the guys that I've met are people of character who were trying to do the right thing in a very, very difficult situation. And, and that's hundreds of guys. I've not talked with hundreds of guys. Okay. Well, you, won't, you won't find one. I'll tell you right now, for as long as I've served and I've been in the military since I was 18, time on active duty, time in the reserves, time back on active duty and retired, I've never served or been around anybody that was doing it for a reason that, that I would consider negative yeah. or the wrong idea of what they were doing. Yeah. yeah, it may not be the same idea what I had, but nothing that I would be like, well, that's messed up. I, that Why would you even consider joining the military for this right. reason, blank reason? You won't find those people. Ne never. Right. And I, I challenge anyone to to do so. The mindset is comparable to first responders in the civilian workforce, yep. EMT, nurses, paramedics, doctors, police, you know, anyone that's going to put potentially put themselves at risk to life and limb to protect, save, uplift someone else. Right. So the, the mindset is, is very similar, if not the same. A, a brain fart what i was going to say on, on top of that luckily well, we can we can we, cut well, this out I, no and, <laughs> right, and, and i'm hoping that um you know by introducing players to these people seeing their stories getting to know who they are what really drives them will help um, I mean, that's one of the, it started out right from the very beginning is like, I'm sitting down with these guys. This, this guy is 21 years old. I've got him 
in a studio with lights on him, camera, interview, cool, cool as a cucumber, right? I mean, just answering questions in the most mature. The, the guy, you know, one after the other like that, and I'm and 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 solid human beings, and I wanted. I'm like, if I can just give millions of people access to those individuals they're going to understand more about the character of the individuals that chose to serve and yep. that's um and, and then put them in the situations that they faced and the net result of this is i think part of the concern of people who might be opponents of the game is that it's uh, it's a pro-war right yeah, that, that we're somehow um cheerleaders for war <laughs> and i don't know anybody who has actually been in a combat who wants more war and i've met a lot <laughs> and and so but yet we know it's necessary sometimes we know it's essential sometimes we know there's no choice and so when that happens i am i feel really fortunate that there are people who are willing to, to volunteer we don't have a draft anymore to volunteer and feel that calling in themselves to do that. But if, you know, democracies cannot sustain war without support from the people, at least over a period of time, they can start yep. wars. Yeah. Um, and I think the last 20 years have taught us a lot on both sides of that. And these are lessons that I hope people will experience in six days as well. And they're, 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 um, um, you know, paradoxically, the lessons that the, the, the people who criticize the game are, are thinking we're going to talk about the opposite of that. But, but you cannot go through these situations and go, hey, I want more war. And this is a classic, this is a classic, Fallujah is the archetype of this. So, you know, as, as you guys know very well, the Fallujah started after those four contractors, American contractors, are, are yep. brutally murdered and hung from a bridge in Fallujah. I was about three and a half, four kilometers away on the north side of Fallujah when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and what? I mean, uh, and and the and the reaction, I'm sure, is like, oh my! Uh, I mean, this is out of control, and across the United States. Uh, I, I was three or four thousand kilometers away at the time when that happened, but I absolutely remember seeing that on the screen. And it's a visceral, emotional reaction to what had happened. And the American people demanded revenge for what had happened. And you know, President Bush and and the leadership at the time went to went to the military leadership at the time and said, "What are we going to do about it? We got to we got to do something significant." And something significant had to happen. But the answer to that then from General Mattis was, well, let's find out who did it and let's take care of that problem and, and their rings around them. But that's not what the American people were demanding. The American people were demanding something real that we tax Americana. We got to show them who's boss. And to some extent, you got to do that sometimes. I'm not sure that that one was, I, in hindsight, the American people were looking at the military leadership and thinking, you know, are they are they cowards? They don't want to do this. No, 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 no. These are some of the bravest people in the world. They're saying this is not a smart idea that we're going to create a bigger problem in the end than we started with. 
Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the idea of the way that military planners look at something like this. When we look at a massive urban environment, there's never like, oh, we're just going to close this place off, go in and destroy everything. It is meticulous planning from beginning to end. So when the people who set policy, when these political leaders turn to General Mattis and say, you need to do something, General Mattis doesn't say, snap his fingers and it happens the next day. This is meticulous planning that goes into something like this and especially a massive city and the things oh. that they had to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's C a civilian it's population. Cost. Exactly. You know, do everything there, to protect them. I was there during Vigilant Resolve and yeah. luckily left two weeks, three weeks before Phantom Fury kicked off. Mm. Um, but I was there when they dropped the leaf with PSYOPs warning everyone in the city, the city's going to go down. Yeah. All non-combatants, male, female, mostly women and children, elderly and the young need to leave. And all that remained for the most part was 98% combatants that were ready to throw down with the U S and I give those guys respect for how they defended that city. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say earlier was I like in the interview that I saw with you, how you and your team refrained from the political aspect and really just got down to the nuts and bolts of individuals fighting in hyper small blocks. You know, it wasn't this big, you weren't telling this giant story of wrong and yeah. right. And, you know, it was strictly capturing combat at the individual small unit small yep. team atmosphere and that's you nailed that there because now that i'm older i do see should we have gone to iraq like honestly probably not like younger me 23 for sure <laughs> yeah but now almost 44 years old you know i'm almost a pacifist i'm almost like I, i'll be the vietnam vet who i used to look down on right like those guys marching against the the, the aspect of it yeah right like those guys aren't brave i'm telling you with all sincerity my dudes are hyper lethal. I'm telling you when guys like us don't want to fight, there's a reason for that, you know? Right. So it's right. You've, you've captured, you've really captured a gem here. And it's, it's, I, I truly believe you're not pro war, but you're, it's the same people are watching the real housewives of orange County <laughs> and divorce and drama and families getting torn apart. And they're watching stuff on TV about, every war film that's ever been like every for the most part every gla uh, glamorized aspect of our lives we're watching i'm obsessed with watching how to catch you know predators and how to catch uh <laughs> you know watch all the investigations you know yeah. do am i pro serial killer no i'm not <laughs> you know <laughs> we, why, we we as human beings like to watch this dark aspect and it's also kind of preparatory too, in a way like, man, I, if I ever am in the situation, I want to get out of it. You know, like that's the worst right. case scenario. Right. Right. And look what's that's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine. You know, the world still after thousands of years of climbing out of caves is we're still at each other's throats for dumb reasons. Right. And yeah. The downside too with the, uh, the detractors of six days is I can guarantee you none of them will ever take the time to play the game, to understand it. Right. It's it's easy to stand on the outside and point fingers and say something is bad without like you said understanding the the character and the valor of what these guys did. You the detractors will never take the time to understand that and it's just yeah. like we've talked about that sort of the news 
feed today on one side to the other, you know, it's, it's easy to point fingers and say someone else is doing the wrong thing, but you never take that time to truly understand what the other person is thinking or what they're doing. And that's, right. that's one of the problems with our society nowadays. And it, unfortunately, <laughs> six days ran into it head first. Head first. Absolutely. Knee jerk reaction. Uh, they, they, the, 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 these people who don't know us made assumptions about what we were trying to do and then spread that misinformation on the internet to millions of others. That is the way it works now, right? I mean, yep. it, it, unfortunately, and, um, I, I, you know, and, and again, just <laughs> I encourage them to think, here we are, you guys veterans, having spent a good part of your life in Iraq and Afghanistan doing these things, speaking to an audience filled with many, many other veterans. And what are we talking about, right? And, and we're, we're not, I mean, the, we know collectively, you guys are part of that community. We interacted with a lot of people from that community. There are lessons that we should learn, right? And, um, and, and so what better way to do that than interactively where you are the person who's in the situation to learn. And this is part of my hope is to say, hey, look, there might be a time in the future where it is the right thing for the United States to go in and take a major city again. That might be the thing we have to do. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the population understood what the real cost of doing that is going to be? Yep. That's it. And that's all. We're, and that's our that's our whole point. Right. Because I don't want to presume to know. I don't want to. I don't want to presume to know what's going to happen in the future, but I do want people to understand that there are realities. And at the same time that that individual who's playing the game is understanding those realities of, of what war really is, they're also understanding and hopefully gathering respect for the individuals who were actually put in that situation at that time. So that's, it, that's, the, that's the combo right there, right? And so I think when we look at uh, people who are uh, opponents of the game, they, they don't understand fully that people who've been through war don't want more war. And our goal with the game is to put people through realistic war, <laughs> right? And that is what our players are asking. I want to know. I've never been in combat. I want to know what it's really like. That is what we're promising them. And then, I mean, through the safety of a video game, <laughs> right? It's through the safety right. of a video game. But then the other half that we're saying simultaneously, which is the part that the opponents of the game do not like, is guess what? We've spent an awful lot of time with people who are in those situations for real, and they are stand-up people of decent character. And, and, and we're not afraid to tell people about that either. I love it. I love the historical, the, the blending of the, historical data and information in, in history and in documentary form in video game. I even hate using the word game. I don't know what else to use, but it's, it's as we were kind of talking about earlier, like watching all these documentaries on TV, you have an actual chance to be in it for a short, small window and at a small percentage, you're part of it actually to, to, to interact with it instead of just, just watching, you know, you're, 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 you're playing. You know, and yeah. I think that's going to connect a lot of dots. It's, uh, as you said, you know, watching me kind of pucker up playing this game, <laughs> you know, it, it does. 
you know, and a lot of games don't. And you guys have nailed it. So, I mean, it, it's – you said that, you know, you're on this – this current phase and you have a long list of things to do next. Can you talk about the, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You- so yeah. I mean, when I think about what we've released for so far, it's probably somewhere between five and 10% of the total product. Oh, wow. So, wow. yep. So yeah. And I ought to put that in the game <laughs> because let people know there's a lot more coming here, folks. I promise. So yeah. So we've just got four, cooperative missions right now in the game that's all it is and and there's no friendly ai there's only enemy ai so you're gonna see us do three or four big things across the next in the coming months um the first is that we're gonna introduce more variables into the simulation so the um uh you know uh different times of day different weather effects different ai tactics there's some more. There's some good stuff coming there. Um, we're also going to add more missions. That's going to come later in the year. We're going to add more missions so that there's more than just four. Um, and we're going to give you a friendly fire team that you will be able to lead through a tool that we call the Go Command. So instead of having those old radial menus like in the old days to get to direct a team, um, we're making it as easy to issue an order to your team as it is to fire your weapon. You aim, you push what called the go button, and depending on the modifier key that you pushed, as well as what you're pointing at, the game figures out what it is that you, that the order you're trying to give. So you can give orders like this as you're moving through the environment. And um, then we're also going to then um, uh, next year begin introducing the, our story campaign missions. So right now, it's all co-op experience. That's the plan for the coming months. Um, but we'll let you play those co-op missions either solo. You can play solo right now, but you don't have any friendly teammates, so it's a it's a it's painful unless you unless you play with, with uh, people who you can match make with online. But if you want uh, to play with friendly AI, that's going to come later in the year. And then if you want to um, play the story campaign where we're actually doing the full doc, see the documentary, recreate the scenario. That's really the soul of the game, and that's going to be coming um, early next year. I love it. Wow. I love it. You guys are, you guys are doing great, it right. Great stuff. Man. Thank you. So this is a question that we see a lot. What right now you're on PC. Do you guys know what platforms other than yeah. PC? Cause that's, that's the big one. Everybody's like, am I going to get this on my PS five? Am I going to be able to get it on Xbox? Where, where are you guys putting it out at? Yeah. The, the intent is to be across the, uh, both of the, the major console platforms. I should say it differently PlayStation, Xbox. I don't, we don't, we don't think we can run on switch, but, um, <laughs> PlayStation and Xbox are definitely targets of ours. And I, I would expect that, that our timing for that would be closer to when we go into the full release of the game, when the whole thing is all done, which right now we're trying to do in the back half of next year. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm, he is very much a PC guy. I like my PlayStation. So I really want to, and I'm a little bummed out. I want to play the game, but I don't, I'm like, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a PC. So I'm just going to uh, have to wait until it gets out on a PlayStation. Well, so you can plug a control. Well, you don't have a PC. That's, that's, that's going to be the challenge, right? Yeah. I was going to say, you can plug a controller into Jason's PC and play <laughs> as if it's a console. 
<laughs> we, we have another laptop. I might have to just take that back. <laughs> there we <Whoa>. go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. And actually, our controls are going to get a little better. We're going to actually we're releasing the patch today. Um, uh, uh, that, and I apologize because the, the piece is not going to actually run the day that I'm actually saying this. So by now, it will be history. But we're releasing a patch where we actually have some, some uh, tuned the controls on the control a little bit. So it's a little bit more precise, a little bit uh, a little better. Anyways, so far the testing is that it's a little better. So we're going to keep on. That's the other thing, by the way. In addition to all this content that's coming out, we just listen to players. I mean, this is one of the best things about being in early access is that we now have literally hundreds of thousands of people who are telling us what they think of the game. And <laughs> yes, people yes. love to do that nowadays. They do love to do that. I, I, exactly. Some things I wish they tell us privately, and some things they're on the bottom But anyways, yes, we do. I mean, and, and I've got a team of people actually that read all that stuff. So it's, I mean, we've, we've got people, they are absolutely reading um, your, uh, the comments in your, um, to your videos. Uh, they, they've, uh, we've got a very large Discord server now. We got like 20, 21,000 people uh, as of right wow. now. We've nice. got more than 70,000 members of our community on Steam already, which right. is just huge for three or four huge. weeks selling the game huge and um we're um and then of course we got our own uh hosted community forums and then on our support website you can say submit feedback so across all of those different things we've got people who are reading all that stuff and, and there's patterns there's definitely there's patterns that, that run and there's stuff we look at and we go i know everybody's asking us for this everybody wants this but we can't <laughs> do it it's not possible right now so or yeah. it is possible, but we can't do it yet. We got to do all of these other things first. But we are, we have human beings who are looking at all that stuff. So I, I, got a, I have a question. Okay. Are you guys going to continue to focus on like the specific like characters that you've interviewed and you're going to sort of play that person? Or are you going to be able to be like, I know Jason's like, hey, can I play as a sniper, blah, blah, in this? Are you going to have the ability to do anything like that later on? There will be points later after we're probably in full release. During the initial full release, it we're targeting very specific roles, right? And um, those roles are, um, uh, you know, based on uh, based on not. So the reason I'm hesitating is because so there's also going to be an operator mode for the game where where you'll be able to do some more SF like activities. But the heart of the game is that Marine or Army fire team. And then we're yep. also introducing Army units into it as well. So nice. It, so that there'll be a there'll be that, that mixture of, of both. But we're but we're saying these specific roles. So um, a sniper, for example, is something that that we definitely want to have, but we're not at the point yet. And I don't know if we'll have a sniper by that point. Uh, when, we might I just could see the weapon, and then you can be a sniper if you find a way to, to do that. Yeah, but the, that, that almost, like, when you start doing that stuff, I, everything that you've talked about up to this point, it almost makes it start feeling like, oh, I'm going to be this guy with this weapon. Right. It almost starts to get a little bit on that gamey side of it right. where I, I can totally understand if you guys were like, oh, we're not doing that. We're going to keep it within the roles. I can totally understand that. So, but there will be a point in time where stories we want to tell are, are sniper stories. Right. So then, at that point, we'll we'll appropriately bring this the, uh, a sniper role into the into the into the game. I can help right you out with that. We're very close quarters <laughs> right now, right? <laughs> so it's it, it yeah. It, it, you know, there are a lot of 
vehicle operations in Fallujah as well. There's there's a, oh, there's, yeah. a, there's, a there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that we could do there um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some really interesting stories about special operations teams actually linking up with just Marine squads yeah. out on the street and th- those guys working together. And you know, it was a very yeah. fluid, chaotic situation. But there's some just yeah, I mean, just a multitude of incredible stories that you guys could incorporate into this game. Our heart, that's our hard part. It's, it's so hard because we got so many stories we want to tell. Picking and, and choosing. It's, it's so hard. There's so many incredible yeah. stories just from this one battle. Think, thinking yeah. about all the, the entirety of the war on terror. I mean. <laughs> Are you, uh, have you guys contemplated if maybe you already have developed, but if not, maybe potentially even the lead up, which was only six months to eight months before Phantom Fury November kicked off. Have you thought about Vigilant Resolve more more the time frame yeah. that I was there? Yeah, for sure. So we absolutely. So we do plan to the full release of the game will actually start at um, in Vigilant Resolve. Oh no way! Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a very important. Now you know the story. I, 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 there's probably people who are watching this who don't know the story, so I don't want to wreck the story for them. But um, there's there's uh, that is an integral. What happened in Vigilant Resolve is an essential understanding players need to know for the setup of what happened in Phantom Fury. And yeah, yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I wonder if that. I wonder if that one engagement that I was in on April 7th could actually be portrayed in the game to some capacity. You know, I'm not telling you to do this by any means, but I mean, just, just there's so many stories like that. Vehicle-borne patrols that weren't dead center in Fallujah, but definitely within a rock's throw outside the southern, you know, Queens, the the, the Cloverleaf, you know, like yeah. the Met Camp. You know, there's so much in Karma in that hyper 20-mile bubble around it. Like, yes. man, yes. yeah, it's all very, all very fresh still in the head. Uh, we should have a conversation. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've got <laughs> yeah. plenty yeah. of guys I can throw your way for some pretty interesting stories for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. medical piece too. The, the, the Corman piece I think is, yeah. I mean, just going to put this out there is so in defense of my Navy brethren. Yes. The Corman that I stood next to, it almost chokes me up talking about this are 100% Marines for lack of better words. They were hyper integral to every grunt platoon, every yep. grunt team, and every reconnaissance and raider team. Our Sarks, our Corman, know my job ins and out, and then they got to save our ass when we do something dumb or should have juke <laughs> left instead of juking right. So yeah. uh, the Corman are hyper overlooked, man, in history. I, and it's, it's totally great. Wish it, totally wish great. It was, the sixth or seventh person we actually interviewed in the project was a Corman. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and um, uh, and Eddie Garcia, the Marine who who conceived the whole thing, um, it, well, you know, he's just flat out. He said, "Carmen saved my life." Period. Yep, saved my life time and time again. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, and ice in their veins is the words that he, he used. He's like, he's, he, he, and I've heard this from Eddie plus a ton of other Marines. Uh, they all use the same ice in their veins. They're like, this is the craziest thing. It's like, you know, before the battle started, we see these guys and they're joking around. They're having a good time. And we're like, oh, my goodness, my life is in their hands. And then the battle started. And the guys started getting wounded. And they're like, 
these guys are, I mean, we're, like you said, it's hard to come up with the right words because they're so laser focused on you and saving your life in the midst of chaos all around them that they almost don't even see all the chaos around them because they're so focused on you. This Corman saved yeah. Garcia's life. He literally, he, he, the bandages were not stopping the blood. And so this Corman uh, jumps on him, his body, wraps his arms around him and uses his own body to stop the bleeding. And then at the end of that, you know, he, he slows it down, gets it to the point, gets more people over, and, and, and then he goes, I'm looking at this Marine, or this Corman, and he is covered in my own blood. You know, it, it's, you nailed it right there, man. It's, my job as a Marine to hit the other guy with a sword, you know, and take him out. That's it. That Corman has to know that job for sure because he is an individual, is there, is going to have to fight to get his own self out of there, and we're going to protect him. But his sole job, like you said, is to take care of us. And there's a difference in mindset. I'm fascinated by this as an individual. Patrick being an 18 Delta medic uh, from the Navy, but on the NSW uh, boat team guy stuff, SWIC stuff. So that mindset is... Like, I want to kick a door down. I want the adventure of it. I want to parachute. I want to do some high-speed stuff. There's something off, and I'm not saying bad. There is something different with the mindset of someone, and it is very first responder-like. Mm -hmm. And I want to join to help, to save, to care for someone else. There is something in the psyche that hyper-fascinates me. Yeah. And if you could capture that, or just even in dialogue of those corpsmen and medics in the Army. Yeah. You know, it's they're, they're special individuals, and I always bust all of their balls to their face. But when it comes down to it, I mean, they are one hundred percent and equal. And all my Corman brothers and sisters out there, none of us look down at any of you or are weaker. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So yeah, I know that I heard that from Marine after Marine. I did. <laughs> we started to get into it a little bit, and you knowing that our channels, you know, here we are talking about video games. And uh, me being a gamer or individual, when we were talking offline, you were talking about you don't listen or watch uh, too many of people uh, playing the game. You did watch myself playing the game and some of your team yeah. members did as well. So, I mean, how was that for you? And, and can you can you kind of walk us through that, too? Yeah. So, I mean, I what I try to do, first of all, I'd watch every single video if I had time. Because I love watching <laughs> people playing the game that we okay. play. I, I would. I, I'd watch every video if I had time. Um, it's just I, I, I work 80, 90, 100 hours a week. And so that, and I, don't, and I, I still have this list of this to-do list that's that long. I didn't get done. But, yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I was very curious how you responded to it, to the game, knowing that you were there. Um, that was um, – and, and same thing. You know, I mean, I, uh, when Eddie Garcia played the game uh, for the first time, you know, and similar reaction. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the, the, watching the emotional reaction to it, and watching you you're very methodical, and you were responding. This is something that a bunch of people on the team caught as well. Dead checking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, worried about what could blow up. I mean, you you move through that environment very very differently than the typical players that we watch and just, just move through that environment very difficultly, very differently. 
Um, so anyways, so it's that, it's that combination of you, I sensed I was watching you relive moments. And that, that's, that's very meaningful to us. Great <laughs> yeah. experience about these people, you. And then to have you do this. I, I've had a couple other Marines who have not played the game yet because, like Patrick, they play on console. <laughs> and it's the same sort of thing, Rob. We've got just very deep curiosity, especially we're going to have scenarios that we re recreate. Oh, yeah. And they have talked about that kind of that uh, fascination of uh, reliving that scenario for themselves in, in, uh, in the game. That's gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm nervous about it, right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of details we got to get right to really get uh, the yeah. moment right. And yeah, it can't be generic. It has got to be so specific. Yeah. Well, as artists, truly, it's what you are on our, every different facet in that realm. Is yep. you know, I, I grew up drawing, like, and I would crumble a million pieces of paper before I felt the first few strokes. I was OCD about it. Yeah. You know, so uh, you guys as perfectionists, you know, you are trying to capture so much in an X amount of time with this, you know, hardware, with this visual representation. So I'm sure you guys do eat up the guys that have actually been there and, and are playing it. Because I could tell you from my one, you know, standpoint is it's a very, I had a very visceral reaction. You know, it, I telling you like how I felt playing the game is, you know, I play Call of Duty. I, I'm, a, I'm a shooter. Yeah. So this slowed me down. <laughs> I mean, even from the first mission of being behind the Amtrak, knowing there's this big complex ahead of me, seeing all the trash, seeing the, the open sewers in the streets, the, you had all the walls nailed. And then just moving into the first group of buildings where I could hear their voices and that it wasn't 2D. There was actual basements of darkness. I mean, we've all been kids, five, six years old, running up the stairs from a kid. You know, the darkness, what's the unknown of what you tried to describe earlier is it's it's the unknowns. Yeah. It's, I don't know, is there going to be an ID in the wall? Or are there, hmm. here I am by myself playing this, you know, so yeah. it really, you, you caught something and hearing the voices, like, which direction are they coming from? You know, like there's, man. You guys struck gold with this for sure, yeah, especially yeah. from the veteran perspective. <laughs> thank you. You guys thank nailed you. it. And the yeah. thing that's that strikes me is if if this was so easy to do, there'd been other games before you that would have done it, and I've never seen anything like this. So 100%, you guys have nailed it, and you've got something unique here, and it's gonna be. I'm I'm very very excited to see you know, the, that first release of the final version. And I'm sure yeah, there's a lot of absolutely. people that are excited and waiting for that as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, it's been wonderful to see, especially a lot of veterans playing the game, giving us feedback. <laughs> and, um, and that, that early access is our opportunity to take all that feedback and to make sure that uh, the full release of the game is everything that people are expecting it to be. And those expectations are clearly very, very high. <laughs> so it's 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 a it's a it's been a it's been a, a long and winding road but now yeah <laughs> or an early access we're not at the finish line yet but it's uh it's beginning to come into sight can yeah. you can you see the light at the end of the tunnel 
Uh, there's a light and it's at the end of the tunnel. I can't quite see it yet. <laughs> it's, it's very... I know it's there. <laughs> You're at the beginning of that tunnel. You don't know how long the tunnel even goes. <laughs> yeah. So in closing, is there something, a twofold question here, is there... An email? Is there some way to contact you guys? Maybe if you're looking for more input from other veterans that were there in Fallujah, uh, is there somewhere these guys can give you even more to help up, up inflate this uh, you know idea that you're doing? And yeah, I'll, I'll answer part one first. Yeah, so on our on our on the sixdays.com website, there is a contact sheet, a contact page, and you can go to the uh, that and and every message that we get through that website is um is read by a human being and nice. we do get a fair number of sure. uh, veterans who, who contact us through there <laughs> and um and uh we're not always able to act on things that people are suggesting but that is the, that's a it, it absolutely is not a waste of people's time if they contact us through there it goes in and um, people who may have been in a particular place at a particular time and it, it corresponds with something we're trying to do that gets filtered back to our we've got a document a documentary historian who's uh literally a journalist <laughs> trained in journalism he was on our team it goes to him and then we kind of wrap that stuff together so yes so that's the best way go six days.com hit the contact button and then um send us a message yeah. awesome I, I guess to segue even further into that question is there something that you can talk about that you're looking for right now that somebody you're missing from the veteran community that you could potentially the army perspective, specific army units that are in the area. And you're wanting to reach out to more veterans that were there uh, yeah. in a realm in specifics, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a couple, so yes, we, we are, um, we'd like, we'd love to get more, um, soldiers who were in the, in fan fury. And then we'd love to get more Marines who are in Vigilant Resolve. This has been awesome, Peter. We appreciate the time. And like you said, you're putting in more than a couple hours each week working on this. So yeah. we appreciate you guys, you taking the time. And we're definitely going to stay on top of this and keep tracking what you're doing. And hopefully this podcast helps you guys reach out to some or contact some other people and that'd be, helps that'd be great. continue this project. Yeah, so. That'd be great. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Appreciate the videos you guys post about the game as well. At, uh, you know, showing people what we're doing. I, I, I mean, we really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. This has been Savage Actual. Jason and Patrick are two former special operations guys who interview interesting guests who talk about video games, airsoft, and military subjects. Basically, they drink a lot of beer, talk about shooter games, and have fun. What's not to love? We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And the fellas will be back soon. But in the meantime, find them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Savage Actual. Y'all be cool, and we'll see you next time.